0: Freaking out This, This is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands on Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. And Brooke you
1: are. And Brook are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Song.
0: We got all kinds of fire for everybody this morning. It is Brock and Salk. Seattle Sports on 710SeattleSports.com. Home of the red hot Seattle Mariners who will play in just four hours, 11 a.m. Matinee today as they go for another sweep. This time of the hapless, pathetic, and quite frankly, dislikable Chicago White Sox. who Yesterday. Fired both their president and GM. Kenny Williams has been there forever, and uh, Rick Hahn has been their GM for a little while. Uh, they're going to move on from both those guys, and for good reason. That needs a complete everything needs to change there in Chicago. But Mariners do what they're supposed to do. Go to Chicago, take on a struggling team, and beat them up. I mean, that's a struggling team, but Mike Clevenger's not a bad pitcher. Nope. I mean, he's a pretty good pitcher. He's annoying to watch, and he's got his ticks. It is. his... Fidgets and everything else that kind of goes nice with him. nice to see the
2: man-bun pony, you know, so the, at least the hair wasn't just flying around I everywhere. Mean, he's, he's a tough watch, yeah. Mike Clevenger, yeah. but he's not a bad pitcher. He's been a pretty good pitcher for a long time, and you find a way
0: to score your six runs and just kind of continue rolling through it. Yesterday wasn't their best game. That wasn't them at their best. It was them just kind of doing what you need to do to kick the butt of a bad team, and they
2: did it again. Yeah, it is just, for as much as we talked earlier in the year about just control the zone and what is control the zone, you remember all of those conversations through so many of these struggles, what does it mean and bringing? Different players in and different journalists in, and everybody trying to understand right. this what i mean is this what 's getting in the way are they are they thinking too much are they just not reacting i 'll tell you uh, of many things that they 've done over these last two months. they have just started to grind and grind these starting pitchers down, and there's something about what is permanent resting face? What is his? What is Scott, his uh, resting yeah. dad face? Yeah, resting dad face. what we called it. Yeah. There's something about that face that's like, I love to grind these guys down. Just grind them down. <laughs> like that old catcher. He's watching his guys just grind out at bats. They're not giving away a bat. Salk, you said this the other day. They're not swinging out of their shoes. They're not swinging out of their zone. They are just grinding at these guys and getting the pitchers out and then feasting with some of these teams they're facing on some bad bullpens and taking advantage of it. And it's great to see. And it's not one guy or two guys or three guys, it's not just JP doing it. It's everybody doing it. And the bottom of the order, in particular, last night, that were a bunch of the difference makers. Yeah, that's sort of how it's been. I mean, and so I guess it brings up if you
0: want to make this a bigger question than just, you know, are they playing well? Yes. Did they have a shot at the division? Uh, yeah, they're one game back. I know everybody in Seattle stuck around. However you watch baseball, whether it's following it on a game cast online or just seeing the pitch by pitch or wh- whatever it is, yep. you were checking to see oh, how yeah. the uh, oh, how yeah. the uh, Diamondbacks and Rangers were doing and Paul Sewald locked down that save thanks to one of the nicest plays in center field I think you'll ever see in your life. You see that play that kid made? No. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, really? Are uh, you going to go watch this? Oh, I'm going to do it right now. Uh, well, you wait to the <laughs> Break, but no, uh, why, don't you, why don't you just wait to a commercial? But the the center fielder. Oh, you don't m- think I can multitask? Not well enough for that. Are oh, no. you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. You want <laughs> test me? No, I don't. <laughs> I specifically don't want you to do this. Uh, the center fielder must have run. I don't know. He was in left center and he made the play almost in right field diving at the wall. It was an unbelievable catch. It's awesome. But they, they Rangers lose their sixth straight, something the Mariners have not done one time this year. In fact, they've never lost more than four straight this year. Mm. And all of a sudden, you're one, one game back. So that's part of the story. But if you're looking back, I think one of the interesting things you said there, Brock, was does this philosophy work? Control the zone. What is it? Dominate the zone. Is this working? Is that the problem? When do you hold tight. When do you stick to your guns versus when do you pivot? And in this case, Jerry wasn't going to pivot. I mean, he said, this is who we are. This is what we do. And if it's an execution problem, if it's a listening problem, if it's a specific player we've acquired problem, we're going to fix that. We're not going to change the philosophy. And as we sit here today on August 23rd, you got to
2: say he made the right choice. I'm going to paraphrase Scott just a little bit. Maybe more. Already cut this because she's an extraordinary um, producer. Uh, but I, I heard Scott yesterday after the game say they pivoted. The individuals, to your point, mm-hmm. pivoted, and it started to be about the rest of the group and the rest of the team, and not just their own individual. That sometimes you start a season, you want to get yourself going, right? You want to you want to swing the bat. You want to get your own stats going. You want to get going. But then ultimately, at this at this juncture, it's about winning games. And then when you start winning, guess what? It's contagious. It's contagious. It's like football, man. It just gets in your blood. It's contagious. I'm on the Husky practice field for hours. It's contagious. I'm on the Seahawks practice field for hours. It's contagious. I'm with family. I'm with Moore and Salk on the field. It's contagious. You just can't quite get enough of it. Well, and then maybe you show up, and you don't want to be the weak link. That's exactly what Rojas
0: told
1: us yesterday. You're trying to make a good first impression, and you don't want – you don't want the team and the staff to think, you know, we just gave up our closer for a scrub. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always tough trying to make good first impression. But And he failed. I mean, let's I be clear. don't want
2: no scrubs. scrub is scrub. <laughs> the one that can get no love from me. He failed spectacularly no
0: in trying to make a good first impression. We went 0 his first 12. It didn't work out at all. And credit to him for kind of coming out the other side of it. He credited Scott with helping him. And then he talked about ta- you know, working with this, this, this hitting group. staff yes. and Jarrett DeHart and the rest of his group and just saying, all right, what can I do? Yep. I'm open to Come it. In. What do we do? Yes. And – When guys listened, they were able to get the job done. I know everybody wants to fire them, but they were able to, when somebody wanted (laughs) their help, it was pretty successful yes. in getting him turned around and he hits another
2: home run last night. Of course he did. I mean, who's on with us this morning? And not, oh, they can't be on at 9.30. No. God yeah, it. we don't have any guests today Does at 9.30. Hey, right, what time is his first pitch? You three? were pretty excited about
0: this because yesterday what, you mentioned you mentioned to him what? that, you know, what Cal had done the day before and then Rojas came on, yes, and so uh, he took note of it. Did you hear him post-game with Shannon Dreyer? Okay, now I think the guys on the morning show on Seattle Sports, Brock and Soccer are going to want to take some credit for that home run. They tried to take credit for Cal's night the other night, do they get any?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was, I was, I need another one. They said two homers, um, <laughs> but I did. I thought of them after the first homer. I thought, you know, I'm going to get another one this game, and then I didn't. So uh, they they lied to me a little bit there. But no, yeah, it was it was fun to be on the show, and it was a fun team win tonight. Brock, yeah, never overpromise. Never over. I should have just said a hey, dinger, right? Forget yeah. One all year. I Under should've. promise over That's yes, right. That
0: was bad. That was bad. Here's the thing. What? I don't want them thinking about us during the game. I, that That's not a good sign. And I would like that to end. Please. Let's like I'd like this whole storyline to come to an end. It's cool for him to mention it afterwards. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. Those guys did talk to me about it in the morning. Yeah. I don't want him thinking about it after his home run. He should be excited about, you know, celebrating with his teammates. And mm. I, don't think about
2: Brock after your home run. I mean, that's, that's just terrible. The, my, that's just the unselfish guy you are. I mean, that's just your nature. That's just whom you are. You don't. You know. You I don't just, want him thinking you, of me. You, I, I do. I want to think right about rock and salt. Okay. You do? Yeah. Why? Like, I want this. I want, you know, it's about the morning show. It's not oh. about an I. Oh, it's about a it's we. It's about a we. Ah. It's about a team. It's about a team thing. It's about a team. I,
0: I, I should have known it was all about a team thing. Uh, well, regardless, uh, he did come on yesterday. He did go yard, and that was the second. And it does speak to the philosophy of this team and the patience that they've had and knowing what to stick with and where to pivot. And uh, as of today, it sure looks like they decided correctly on almost all all of those things. We'll talk more about that with Jerry Depoto tomorrow at 830. Coming up next, we'll give you everything you need to know. And you'll get to hear that home run from Josh Rojas next. Need to know
2: 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk.
0: Here's what you need to know up first. That Chicago White Sox team is hideously bad like objectionably bad and the Mariners are doing exactly what you're supposed to do kick their butts they did it again yesterday and once again without Julio Rodriguez who missed his second game this time with a stomach bug no matter Josh Rojas just pick up right where he left off here's Rojas the stretch and the pitch on the way to Josh swing a fly ball well hit into right field Colas going back to the oney track looking up goodbye baseball into the White Sox bullpen Josh Rojas with a two-out, two-run home run here in the top of the fourth inning. And it's now the Mariners four and the White Sox one, number two on the year for Rojas. I was not surprised when I saw that Rojas home run Mm -hmm. because I had gotten a text about it before it even occurred on my television, thanks to uh, Adam with the Mariners, who was at the game and was like, our guy hit a home run. I was like... (laughs) Okay, in like thirty seconds it's actually gonna happen here on Fubo. So uh I was not surprised. Eight in a row now for the Mariners. Another series win. They just keep on rolling. They're doing it without Julio as you know, just everything who doesn't seem to matter. No JP, we'll figure it out. No you know. Julio, we'll figure it out. Get Brian Wu back in there. He goes four innings and looked pretty good. They're protecting him, clearly, as they're gonna need to, because one piece of bad news kind of amidst all of this was that Emerson Hancock mm-hmm. was moved to the 60-day IL yesterday, which means his season is done, which means they're out of depth, right? I mean, you got Tommy Malone. You got maybe a couple of other dudes who are not Weaver. necessarily ready for prime time. This but Weaver
2: cat they just signed as maybe. well. Uh-huh.
0: But you're, you're, you're talking about a team that right now is pretty well out of depth, yep. and that means that the five starters you have— need to stay healthy.
2: Does this pretty much feel like the 15-game win streak of last year? Of all of the conversation of, well, you know, both of which have come true to a degree, I guess. Ah, oh, you're not going to stay healthy. You're not gonna, These guys are not going to make every start like they did last year. Well, that, that came true and came true really quickly. Ah, oh, they're not going to win 15 in a row. That's a that's a one-time. You're never, ever going to win 15. Well, I mean, they're like a couple inches away, a couple pitches away from winning like 19 in a row. Yeah, I mean, legitimately and it's yep. not like they've scratched and clawed and and came back in all these games i mean they've been especially this series been fairly dominant from beginning to end but what a streak again eight looking for nine and Kirby getting the ball today to get her done. Well,
0: and as they're doing it, uh, Texas is just imploding right now. They've lost six games in a row for the once mighty Rangers. Mariners have not lost more than four games in a row all year. Even when they were not going well, yep. they were just hovering around 500. They would win three and lose three and win two they and lose three. They never buried two. themselves. They didn't. They nope. found a way to just kind of stay in it enough. And what Texas is doing right now is uh, problematic for them. Obviously, Mariners pull to within one game of first place in the division. It's amazing. Toronto and Houston both win, so nothing changes in the wildcard standings. And as Brock said, final and uh, finale in Chicago this morning, 11 a.m., George Kirby and Michael Kopech. Here's the second thing. You need to uh, know. There were a lot of injury updates from Pete Carroll yesterday. He was going on for like a half hour just with injury updates. It was one after another after another. Some were really good. Jordan Brooks looks great and sure seems like he's going to be ready for week one. That's awesome. Jamal Adams could be ready today. Yeah,
1: it's it's in our conversation right now. And uh, there's a chance we'll have Matt Couture here tomorrow. Oh, right. So that would be a, that's a big step for him to go forward. But it isn't a step that means that he's going to be back out practicing yet you know but we, we want to get him in the flow again looking at the weeks that we have to build up into the preparation time um he, he's ready to do that and, and I, I brought it up to him and he, he responded really well so i think probably tomorrow or the next day we'll get that done so
0: put that on the good news category ken walker was back witherspoon might be back later this week on the other hand Flip over that page. Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to have wrist surgery. Derek Young likely is going to need a core surgery. Mike Morris, Kenny McIntosh, Cam Young
2: all aren't ready and might not be for a little while. That uh, That's not a great injury yeah, report. That rookie class has Yeesh. just been banged up. I, I was shocked yesterday. I, I don't know. I mean, we've got another fully loaded show today. KJ's coming in, in a half hour. John Smoltz, 10 minutes, hopefully. So I was blown away the Jordan Brooks, and I said it to you more time and again, like, look at Jordan Brooks' run. I mean, look at him move. He didn't even have a sleeve. I had to ask one of the Seahawks uh, staffers who was incorrect on this. I'm not going to put his name out there. I said, which knee was it? Was it his right or his left? And you said to the guy, 50-50, and he messed it up because you couldn't even tell. There was no sleeve. There was no brace. That's Remember, he had ACL reconstruction in January. And he's full speed in team yesterday, and we're not even to September. It is remarkable. Pretty darn cool.
0: Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, if it was the bats that get much of of the credit for the turnaround for the Mariners this year, let's throw a little love to the gloves, and uh, three of them were nominated for gold gloves yesterday. Julio Rodriguez, Ty France, Eugenio Suarez are all finalists. I'd be surprised if any of them win, but I do want to at least recognize the hard work that went into all three of those based on where they were a few years ago. Julio, not supposed to be a center fielder. He's supposed to be a corner outfielder. Instead, he's now a gold glove caliber center fielder. Uh, you sure he's doesn't have a chance? I'd be surprised. This metrics are pretty darn good. As I said, I'd be surprised. Okay but I'm not. It's certainly not impossible. I'd be more surprised for Gino or for Ty France. I just think you know Chapman's going to win most likely at third base but when Gino got here, he's supposed to be a defensive liability. Yep. When Ty France got here, he didn't have a position. and We were told he could capably stand at third base.
2: I mean, like for those three guys to be yep. in that conversation. Tremendous. It's yep. exactly what Rojas was talking about with us. Like this is a loose team led by Julio out in center field, but it is a team that gets work in. I mean, it is early before the game. It it is pre-game. It is just fundamentals over and over. And when you watch Suarez now, and I think Damon was asking me about him last night, like, what's his story? like, well, he grew up a shortstop. Right. And then he grew into some power uh, with some size, and he moved to the corner where he was just kind of, I don't want to say lazy, but it just wasn't a focal point. And it's become a focal point. It's been unbelievable. He doesn't miss a throw. 250-some throws now without a throwing error. And when you watch it, it's like watching a super fundamental QB, man. He gets his posture. He gets his body he gets the same yep. repeatable delivery. He's not trying to do like these you know, sidearm shots and try to be all cute. Nope. I'm going to get into my routine. I'm going to get into my fundamentals. Yeah, you say
0: that, but man, the couple of plays he's made with the bare hand the last Amazing. few days. Amazing. been unbelievable. That's everything you need to know. Uh, as Brock said, John Smoltz we think is going to join us here in about uh, five, seven minutes. Before we do that, since we just have a moment or two, you were at practice yesterday.
2: What did you see? Like what jumped out uh, to you besides Jordan Brooks? Can uh, you Yesterday, what was the biggest thing? Well, after a couple off days, and this is this is natural, and it's kind of a chill practice. Uh, well, for uh, offense was kind of in chill mode in their shorts. The defense was relentless. They destroyed them. If they had a competitive board up there, like offense defense through the team periods, and chatted with a couple of the offensive guys coming off. And I've known those days where it's like you're playing uphill. Like the defense is just coming downhill the whole game, and there's nothing you can do to stem the tide. They just keep coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. So I thought the speed and the ferocity of that defense and having Woolen back was a mm. reminder. And there was a play there right, they ran right at us with Woolen and K-9. Uh, caught a little sweep or, got, or bounced a ball outside, and those two, wow, right? They are, they're just different. I mean, they're just—you're not supposed to be that fast when you're that big um, and long. So it was—that was my feeling about Boye yesterday. I mean, he came running over to the sideline near us as well.
0: Like, Dude, that guy's just huge and so fast. Yes. So you they got s- some—they got some dudes on that defense. Do. I don't know if it's all going to come together, and I don't know if the middle of it is going to be a problem enough to like affect everybody else. But they got some. they got some dudes who can play over there.
2: Yeah, that, the two preseason games at home and them just running. And then when you see it yeah. In, yeah, in person again, offense had a tough day. So they'll put some shells or pads on today. And I'm going to guarantee you that offense is going to want to come out and run the ball and set a little bit of their tone mm-hmm. today. And right. that's the fun back and forth. This Mariner pitching staff
0: is not the 90s Braves. I think we can agree on that at least for right now. They are not the 90s Braves. But if you're looking for a comp, Hmm. that's certainly what they might project into. So who better to talk about them than a member of the 90s Braves? John Smoltz will join us next on Brock and Salk. This, This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, rolling along with these Mariners who have, for the second time this month, won eight straight games. Unbelievable, especially considering where we were just about two months ago. Joining us to chat a little bit more about them is John Smoltz, the Hall of Famer, taking a few minutes with us. John, thank you so much. We appreciate it.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You guys,
2: you and Joe saw these Mariners before this run, right, John? You guys were down, was it a Houston on a Sunday, I believe, in June? that you got to see them up close. I don't think they won that game, and I think it was right before they have got red hot and be the best team in baseball. But I think even then, you and Joe said, hey, keep an eye on these Mariners. They're constructed pretty darn well. So are you surprised they've gone on this kind of run?
1: Uh, No, I'm not surprised. I think the biggest thing was, the surprise was, I mean, they were really struggling to score runs, and that was the inconsistency that the first half really had. And, you know, not to tie it just to one guy, but he's such an electric player that, you know, Rodriguez, once he got going, you figured this team's pitching is not going anywhere. It's not really going to be the issue. It's whether or not they scored three runs. And they certainly, since the All-Star break, have connected offensively. And this team has basically been uh, a juggernaut from – the offensive side and doing all the things they have to do to win, you know, win baseball games and it's showing up and the confidence has got to be through the roof.
0: I want to be very respectful as I ask this question because the current ma- no, I'm serious. No the offense. current Mariners rotation is not in the same category as the Braves teams that you played in. None of these guys have shown themselves to be Hall of Famers, whereas you had three and a couple other guys who were really tremendous pitchers as well. So I, I say this with seriously a lot of respect, but having been a member of those teams and the way you all challenged each other, etc as you watch a team come at you with specifically Castillo and Kirby and Gilbert, but then a couple of these other young guys with Bryce Miller and Brian Wu, et cetera, is, is there a comp to be made? Is there something that we can learn from what you guys were like that would help us understand what this group will be like? Braves-like
2: vibes?
1: You know, I remember asking answering this question probably like five years ago, six years ago with the Mets rotation, and I think people's heads fell off when I said there's probably – 10, 12 rotations that are way better than ours. And, you know, people are like, what is he talking about? I said, because individual years, we don't stack up, but we did it collectively for 10 years. with totally different philosophy, totally different mindset. And individually we wouldn't be picked at all. You know, if there was just a random pickup, <laughs> pick your, uh, pick your starting staff and we, we just wouldn't, our stuff did not compare to the guys that you mentioned, even on this staff in Seattle. So, that is the answer to that question is no one will do it 10 years. So the easy answer is they're way better now and they have an opportunity if healthy. And that's that big, if that the two letter word is, is been crushing pitchers for years and nobody seems to care because they just said, we'll just bring up the next guy. the, The staying healthy part is the big unknown. And so look, they've got strike throwers. They've got, nasty stuff they strike out people so they have ways to eliminate really really good offenses and like i said if they score runs they're going to be really tough to beat no one wants to play the seattle mariners if they get in the playoffs that's just a given because of their starting rotation and if they stay healthy and fresh i don't see why they can't make a tremendous run we talked about this before I think their Achilles heel is where they play and the travel. If they navigate that and kind of survive some of those trips, which I think most of them are gone, then this balanced schedule really seems to have helped a team like Seattle because I've said it's really unfair to Tampa and Seattle. Those are the two extremes, and so far so good You know, for, for the Mariners.
2: Well, one of those individuals in particular, if you watch him in person, John, as I've gotten a chance to do a few times, is George Kirby. And George is this kid from Elon, right, that came out thrown in the low 90s with unbelievable command. Jerry said to us the other day, had he been in the SEC, he probably would have been a top five pick and they would not have been able to get him. But if you see him in person, John, he has just got this quiet rage. I mean, he is, we call him furious, George. At least I do. Anyway, it's not really stuck yet, but I do. And he has just this incredible, like, he'll he'll scream at the umps. He'll scream, you know, I mean, just he's got some of this rage. And I'm just curious, does that match up in some way with Greg Maddox back in the day? Just a temperament, a competitive edge that you may not think that he would always come with. But boy, does he bring just fire every time he made a start.
1: Well yeah, like Greg had the greatest mechanics in baseball for as far as I'm concerned for throwing strikes if he if he challenged him to never walk a guy in a year he could do it a hundred percent majority of his walks were intentional and that's just a mind-blowing statistic and I think the willingness to want to mix and match and throw strikes is something that is not taught you have to be able to do that because think about it if they just in every sport they're teaching athletes to to kind of get away from fundamentals and get to a just-let-it-eat mindset. Let it rip as a quarterback. Let it rip as a, as a golfer. You know, um, shoot the 35-footers in basketball. And so the biggest thing that, that I've noticed about pitching is that there is no art to pitching, per se. It's the ability to throw as much and as hard as you can in that box or get it close and let your stuff get guys out. When you have a guy that can combine the two, his ceiling goes way up. His ability to stay healthy goes way up. And he can pitch deeper into games and be more valuable. And I know that's not an asset people are looking for anymore. Like pitching innings, what is that? It's it's literally just can you dominate for four or five, and then we'll get the next guy. And so that's why Seattle staff has a chance to keep the bullpen fresh when the postseason comes. Mm-hmm. I laugh internally at all the metrics that go out the window when the postseason comes. All the inning limits, all the pitch stuff. That all goes out the window because it doesn't matter for some reason. I just I laugh because we have all these restrictions and then all of a sudden they go away. And it's at the most vulnerable time for any pitcher. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny to me how we've evolved, but I think the, the the answer to that question is this guy knows how to pitch. And when if you know how to pitch you're going to be able to navigate a lot of different um, issues that come along your way.
2: You know the voice? It is John Smoltz, the voice of baseball today on Fox. Back in your day, Johnny, did you guys have what I see today? Actually, my son has one of these nets that has the nine different pockets that you you, you can throw the, the ball into from 60 feet away.
1: No, no, we didn't. Um, I, I, honestly, I generated that when I was a kid on a brick wall, and okay. I, I put tape on a brick wall to have nine squares in it. Um, and I learned how to throw to those quadrants when I was younger. I'm talking eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And that was just something I'd came up on my own. There's so much technology, so many different ways to get it done. And I'm not saying that they're all, you know, perfect or they're all bad. I just think that the ability to to pitch today is it's really the ability to throw. And I, I just I feel bad because for young pitchers who throw hard and have great stuff that come out of a computer, when that goes down at all, they look at you like you're about to break and next guy up. Like there's no way to learn how to pitch without your best stuff because no one's being taught how to do that. And so you either have it or you don't. If they,
2: If Maddox had that nine pocket, could he have sit there sat there and you, from sixty feet and said, Okay, hit number four, hit five, hit seven.
1: Like Oh, could... no doubt. No doubt. Oh, that's I watched every bullpenny through. Um, you know, Glavin was stubborn, didn't give in. He didn't have the precision that Maddox had, but I'm talking head still, shoulder quiet, everything that you want for a pitcher. And his ability to maneuver the strike zone to make a pitch look like it was a strike, end up a ball, and vice versa. And I think that is just the art of what our generation promoted. And uh, certainly, he would not be drafted, and he would not he looked at in the big leagues today. Yeah, no Glavin,
0: Glavin wouldn't have been able to hit all nine pockets, but if you would put a, a, a tenth one just a little bit outside the strike zone on the arm side, Tom would have hit that one over and over and over again. Like, yeah, yeah. no, that's a strike for me, thanks. <laughs> hey, uh, John, you brought up Julio, and and we, we've we said it a number of times here. This team goes as Julio goes. Uh, we've heard players say it. Jeff Passen came on and said, I mean, that is that is obviously true with the M's. Who is Julio to you and who could he become?
1: Well, we're seeing some of the hybrid leadoff slash top of the order guys. And again, <clears throat> I may not agree with lineup construction because they use it over 162 games to gain an edge. I think, I think that's a little bit much, but when you have an Acuna and a Julio Rodriguez at the top of your lineup that, and when I talk about leadoff hitters that can hit home runs, that's great. Big deal. I mean, that, a lot of guys hit home runs. But when a leadoff hitter gets on and makes havoc for the pitcher on the bases, that's, where it, that's the difference maker because now he's impacting the lineup. If I'm facing a team that the first guy can hit a home run off me, I don't sweat it. No big deal. Solo home run, who cares? But if that guy gets on first and now can turn it into a bigger inning, which we're seeing today, thankfully, the athleticism and the um, ability to have action in the game again, mm-hmm. that's what these two guys are. They're a guy that could hit 30, steal 30, and have an on-base percentage that, you know, makes nightmare lineups uh, even better uh, when the guy – it's called the carryover effect. And I've never understood – personally, I've never understood batting Aaron Judge second. Never. And I never will. Someone could explain it to me till they're blue in the face. I'm just speaking as a pitcher. You're doing me a huge favor to have that unbelievable hitter batting second. Because he can't do that much damage other than the best he can do in the first inning is a two-run homer. Mm -hmm. And then if he comes around, there's no guarantees anyone's going to be on base. And that's why you're seeing the Yankees struggle, because they pitch around Mm him. You can't pitch around Julio Rodriguez. Because if you do, he's on the base, stealing second, possibly third. So the game has changed, and I'm so glad it has. And stolen bases is back. And and that has just made the game better.
0: I'm with you on that. By the way, I I think I'd probably you know tend to go back and forth on how I feel about some of the statistical revolution. But there's no doubt that that the moves they made this off season with the shift, and even more so with the larger bases, and then just maybe some of the Peace. just some of the natural evolution of the game, the back and forth of the game, and it's brought more athleticism in. Look, I love baseball. It's been my favorite sport since as long as I can remember, but it's been a lot more fun to watch over the course of the last few months just because we're seeing athletes again.
1: No doubt. We were losing, and no one would pay attention to this because you're not talking about a huge sample size. We were losing two two sports stars to other sports almost at 100% rate in the last seven years. And I think that, to me, of all the issues that could happen in other sports, injury, career, like longevity, baseball was the number one. For the longest time, longevity sport. Mm. And that has changed, and hopefully we'll go back to the two-sport athletes maybe thinking about playing the sport again because it showcases your talent. It wasn't showcasing a talent, so I'm all in.
2: Uh, Last thing here, John, um, I'm going to guess I know where you go with this, but you never know, Um, managers, do they matter? Does a manager in today's baseball game really matter?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, they have discounted this for a while, and now you're seeing a, an evolutional shift of older managers coming back in the game to, to manage the information and the player. There is so much that goes on in a clubhouse that can fraction a team. There's so many unquantifiable uh, metrics that everyone has been trying to put an absolute to that they can't. I'll give you a perfect example. They don't know the heartbeats of a player. People who caught the input and output of an information of a computer can't tell you anything about the heartbeat, the desire, and the clutch factor because they say that doesn't matter. There's no such thing as clutch. And when you say that to a guy like me, I I want to have a conversation for the next two hours with that person because they have never played a sport. They have no (laughs) idea what they're talking about because there is such a thing. They think it's a random act that can't be reproduced. So when you talk about managers in today's game, yep. that is more important than ever before because of everything I just said. And the reality is these players need leadership and they need to be able to be have to get that information translated to them so it applies to them so they understand yep. it.
2: And this guy in Seattle, by the way, is one of the best.
1: He, he should have he was my yep. hey, he was my catcher in the Junior Olympics in, in, in Albany, New York. When we were 17 years old, oh, we saw those pictures. So. Yeah,
2: I think I saw those pictures on that broadcast that day of you and Scotty back in the Did day. Did he look like a dad then, or was he at least like a
0: kid at that point?
1: <laughs> he looked like an older kid. Okay, uh, good. he looked like he was. He looked more polished than anybody else. <laughs>
0: what, he, what does he need to do to get some national respect?
1: Well, you know, honestly, it, it, it comes with the territory of, of getting in. And, and last year, they could have easily beaten the Astros. You know, that was an epic series. But once you start getting success and people know, you know, a lot of people don't get to see the Seattle Mariners play because of where they play and the time zones and everything. With the balanced schedule, people are starting to notice, yep. and he is definitely going to get his due for, for holding the ship and really putting together an incredible run in the second half.
0: John, thank you so much. It's, uh, really, we so really good. appreciate you giving us a few minutes, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, see you come playoff World Series time here in Seattle. That would be, uh, that'd be pretty fun. The
2: best.
1: Definitely. I have the American League this year, so it's going to be an exciting American League playoffs because there's some really top-heavy good teams. Awesome. Awesome. There you go. Hey, there's, Smoltz, there's
0: John Smoltz, uh, the voice of baseball, as Brock said, on Fox and has been for a while now. And and look, I mean, John clearly has a, a, a thought on what he, he believes in in you know the statistics and this mm-hmm. and that. I don't know that I fully agree with him on that, but I absolutely understand and respect his position on it. I mean, like... Just the, the last night, I knew when it to blue Idiot. I just I, I was thinking about his comment there about got, batting a guy lead off and mm-hmm. he doesn't understand why it works. Well, he's right to the starting pitcher, it is probably a gift in the first inning to get Julio or judge or whomever up with you know nobody on or whatever. But in the ninth inning, when the games are being decided and if Julio or judge or whomever is stranded in the on deck circle batting fourth or third, and you would have had an opportunity to get them up if they were hitting first or second. I think that's the decision they've made. I'm not saying it's necessarily the right choice, yeah. but that's the argument in favor sure. of it. It's just like, hey, Let's over the course of a volume, year, yeah, if I volume. can get 30 or 40 more at bats for Julio or for Judge or for whomever, that's worth the fact that maybe a couple of first innings don't go as well for the for yeah. the
2: hitters. His just insight as an analyst, he's the guy, and it's funny if you talked a lot of football, baseball, basketball. Just as an analyst, yeah. he says things that make you think. Yes. The number of times, just looking at Justin and Mora and you over the course of those 15 minutes, where he's like, dang, I didn't thought about it that way. <laughs> Man, I hadn't thought about it that way. That guy makes you think whether yeah. you agree or not. He's a heck of a pitcher, too. I'll tell you that much. Let's do a little Blue 88. This is
1: Rock and Sog's Blue 88.
2: Blue 88!
1: We take you to the field This Brock Hewitt breaks down three football questions as only he can.
2: Now here's your hosts, Brock Hewitt and Mike Saul.
0: Alright, three good football questions for Brock before KJ Wright comes in here for the next hour, which will be fun. Uh, Brock,
2: you uh, were out at Husky practice as yes. well yesterday. Yep. What was uh, what did you see? You know it was percolating in my mind? Ray Roberts. Oh, I can only oh, imagine why. big Ray was in my mind. Why? Because I think you were out there at the time. I think Macy and Haley were there running the stands. And you and me and Ray went and watched the Huskies. And Ray was like, what is up with these fat guys with skinny arms? There are so many fat kids with skinny arms. On their offensive line specifically. Yes. Bro. He was not impressed with their <laughs> offensive line that day. I-, I know they lost some pieces on this offensive line from last year. But, oh, my gosh, Rosengarten and, and Troy Fatana, I mean, they're NFL dudes. And they are getting after it. And the, just the amount of power and force and strength. And kudos to the, to the new strength coach came in with Kalen DeBoer as well. Transformed a lot of those bodies. You did not see, and even the youngsters, some talented young players, you can say, oh, yeah, that, that young pup's going to grow into it. So just the eye test. You know, going from Husky practice to Seahawk practice years ago, it was like, yeah, there's the JV and there's the varsity. It is still it is a whole the JV versus the varsity. But now that JV team has got a dozen guys that look like the varsity. Good, team. that's what they needed. All right, question number two.
0: Uh, we talked to Geno Smith yesterday, which was great. I think we're going to play some of that for KJ coming up here in uh, in a few minutes. What was the
2: best thing you heard from Geno? Two things. Two things jumped out. Number one, when I asked him about San Francisco, how do you close the gap? And he's like, yeah, man, you play elite teams. It's the margin of error. The margin of error anyway in the NFL, as KJ would tell you, is five or six plays usually a game. But against San Francisco, it was one or two plays, and in particular giveaways and fumbles and the turnover, and you just can't do that. Or conversely, your defense has to then create those, which they did not do on their side. And certainly one big fumble there in the third quarter, as Gino said, really changed that game down in the Bay Area. That and then what he had to clean up and it's going to be those those sacks if there's one number i will look at more maybe than anything else for gino it's not completion percentage or pass efficiency as peter king said you know to rich eisen he's not a fluke you, you can't do what he did for a year and be a fluke but those sack numbers have got to come down and even in the preseason game the first one right third down sack you know myers bailed him out with a 57 yard field goal but but get rid of the ball, man. Yeah. Just, just find a way. You know, I saw Peyton do it. Watch Tom do it. You saw Drew do it. Like the, the more Aaron Rodgers does it, just get rid of the ball, and it def- and it deflates a defense, especially when they're near getting home. And the juice and the energy that comes from those negative plays don't give them a chance. Just get rid of the ball. All right, question number three. Uh, you also as you said
0: we were at Seahawks practice yesterday so just getting a, a, a tour Gosh, of everything going on football so wise good.
2: in this city on a perfect day for you. I yesterday. wish I could have had like 50 of my favorite friends like right next to me all day yesterday sorry we weren't enough for you no, you I'm sorry, were. I'm sorry we weren't enough for no, you. I mean, no, no. and not. I were there with you hanging out. I'm, I'm sorry the, we weren't at the, enough. At the Seahawks, I'm I mean, saying. It felt like maybe we'd be enough, I'm but I guess
0: yeah. not. The double dip on both. It hurts. It kind of hurts our feelings, I would say. Yeah. You know, mine more than
2: Morris, maybe. Uh-huh. But it okay. <laughs> hurts. Uh, what did you see from the Seahawks' defense? Some <laughs> of the scheme changes they're making. Well, I saw the aggressiveness, and I'm going to ask KJ a lot about this. And Pete was asked kind of post-practice about it, and he did his dodging as best he could. Greg Bell tried to come at him. Brady tried to come at him. And Pete, when he didn't want to answer scheme questions, is very coy and very good. And kind of turns it around and and pokes a little fun. Well, he was pretty clear,
0: though. Jordan Brooks is going to play next to Bobby, not in place of Bobby. Correct. That was
2: pretty clear. That was clear. And, you know, we're going to probably see all three linebackers. You're going to see Bush, Wagner, and Brooks on the field. You know, back in KJ's day, they tried to do some of that, just base defense. We're going to play base, and we're going to have our big linebackers out there. And, you know, he stopped the run, but it was a little bit challenging in some of the passing game. With the way that Brooks can run and the way that Devin can run, almost looks like a safety. He almost looks like when he's in that nickel linebacker spot. He Almost, <laughs> frankly, looks like some of the nickelbacks in the league. Mm-hmm. I know he packed another 30 more pounds than Kobe, but he's shorter. And, you know, like... Yeah, you're going to see it's just going to add to the versatility with good. a capital V.
0: All right, there you go. That is today's Blue 88 as we bounce back and forth here between Seahawks, Mariners, football, baseball, as both sports are uh, really in a good spot right now in Seattle. Really excited about what this season brings for, Se- for uh, the Seahawks and obviously the, you know, the Mariners in the midst of their second eight game winning streak this month.
2: They're a game behind Texas. Bro, we said this so much last fall. Seriously, so many times. Playoffs, I mean, the the Mariners make the playoffs. The Seahawks are, it's unbelievable. And the Huskies this year are a legitimate contender. I mean, if there were 12 playoff teams, as there will be in 2024, they would absolutely be Mm. a playoff contender, which is four. The uh, margin's probably too small, especially with the schedules and the cupcakes that a lot of the other teams but get. But when you're following a pen and chase like this, oh, and that's gosh. what it
0: is, by the way. Now, it's no longer just a playoff chance. That's right. There's no pen and chase. That's I mean, right. like, you you are right there in the middle of it, a game behind Texas, who is in trouble right now. And they, you know, had to have a team meeting after the game yesterday. I mean, like, they, they are all over the map. I mm. know they've got better names than the Mariners do, especially offensively. And I know they went bigger at the trade deadline, but they're not playing better baseball. That's for sure. And right now what uh, the Mariners doing is a lot of fun. All right. With all that uh, being said, we've got KJ coming in the building. I know. It's like you just got to shift gears because you never know what's coming up next. We're going to make KJ talk an hour of baseball. I think he's ready for that. No? No, maybe not. Okay. We'll talk football with KJ. That's next on Brock and Salt.